Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. This evening, I'm sat with Ian Morrison, co-founder of Beyond, a development company started by Ian and Marcus in 2018. Now, Ian's career begins in QSing, evolves to project management with Grosvenor. He leaps into development management once more with Grosvenor whilst it transforming their London estate through to being the CEO of the newly established Craig Ewan development company for the £1 billion St. John's Wood Barracks to running his own development company. Ian, thank you very, very much for joining me. It's a, it's a privilege. Really nice to meet you, Nick. Um, now, we're going to get into this uh, and sort of hear a lot more about sort of um, where this sort of career goes. But why don't we start right at the beginning? You tell us, how does chapter one begin? OK, so it goes all the way back to 1990 when I um, started studying uh, quantity surveying at uh, University of Reading. Um, I had three great years um, at Reading and uh, it coincided in fact with the uh, what some people remember as the late 80s early 90s recession so having had three great years finding an opportunity a job opportunity at the end of it wasn't that uh, wasn't that easy and in fact of my class at the time there was about 30 of us in the class I think only four of us were fortunate enough to get a job in quantities of AM moving forward a lot of my friends and colleagues moved on and went on to study masters and do other things um but I was one of the fortunate four, and um, I managed to get a, a place with EC Harris. Um, I had a fantastic interview with uh, with Brian Harris, um, who st- still is a personal friend of mine today. And um, he gave me this uh, this opportunity to join them uh, back in 1993, um, and it was it was the, the kickstart and the start of uh, of my career into quantities buying. At that time, um, I had no real idea where my career was going. I had no plan. Uh, my main focus was to join a leading uh, quantities of own practice and to get my, I suppose, my final piece of education, really, which was my chartership with the uh, RICS. Um, and that was my um, my stepping stone into my working career. So obviously that's our first, first sort of step in. Um, how long were you with uh, EC Harris? So I stayed with them for about four years. Um, chartership takes a couple of years. Um, so I was with them for a little spell. But I suppose the the interesting thing that happened whilst I was there, I started working on a project with uh, with the Grosvenor Estate. It was the Grosvenor Estate in those days. It's, it's now just Grosvenor. But um, I was brought in as a um, as a sort of graduate QS, uh, working on a new office building in Mayfair which uh, today is actually their, their head office. Uh, but at the time we started that project, it was just a speculative commercial building. Um, and I remember going to my very first meeting um, on, on that particular project uh, at the old Grosvenor office on, in Davis Street. And I met uh, two people. I met Steve Brewer and I met um, Charlie, Ch- Charles Horn. Steve was the sort of head of project management of Grosvenor at the time. And Charles was the project project manager for this particular building. So I always remember at this first meeting, sitting there listening to Steve and Charles talking about 
I suppose the Grosvenor values, uh, the principles, um, the vision for this particular project. And it really made me think about a different side and a different type of role within the industry where you were working as a project manager rather than a, a, um, a specialist consultant, where you had a much broader overview of the project uh, and influence and leadership to a degree. And it was this leadership that really interested me. So I, um, it, it was a sort of little catalyst in my mind that actually started to set a a career journey for me and I set myself a target that and I remember saying going home and saying to my wife that one day I would love to work for uh, for Grosvenor an organization like that that had amazing values huge ambition and it gave me the opportunity I think to move into a different type of career away from uh, quantity surveying so whilst whilst my uh, initial starter was and, and passion was getting into quantity surveying um, within the four years at, at, um, at EC Harris it did it did shift into more project management at the time. And that was uh, the reason why after four years, I made the stepping stone out of uh, EC Harris. Now, at that time, it was it, there wasn't an opportunity at Grosvenor, unfortunately. Um, so I made a step into a different type of company, um, which is a residential specialist company called London and Hendley. That company offered me a couple of things, actually. One was the transition into project management, which was a direction that I was definitely keen on going. But it also took me out of a bigger corporate organization into a smaller organization. So London Henley was probably about 20, 25 people. It was a residential investment and development business. So it bought, uh, developed and held for income uh, prime and uh, super prime uh, apartments in London. They had their own internal development capability and they were looking for a project manager. And um, that was that opportunity for me to, I suppose, take my commercial quantity surveying background into project management. And um, I had four wonderful years with London and Henley. It was a very small progressive company. Um, it gave me, I think, insight into the difference between a big corporate and a small company where you get maybe a little bit more autonomy. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, I think, when um, when we get on to Grosvenor later on. Uh, but um, but it was, a, it was a, a much more targeted, focused business, much more hands-on. Um, and it was it gave me real uh, access to grassroots project management, rolling your sleeves up, getting in there, working with teams, creating and executing projects you know, on the ground, which was, you know, the passion I had at the time. Well, before we move on, then, I want to focus on a little bit on these these earlier sort of chapters. Um, uh, is it about, uh, was it four years at EC Harris and then sort of four years? Um it was, yeah, it was. Okay, so yeah, it was so, about four, four and four. So if I if I bulk those sort of those those eight years together, then as as, as that sort of earlier sort of chapters, what did you most enjoy about that period of your career? Well, it was it was I suppose it was that transition out of an educational uh, environment into um, a different type of learning. What one was obviously more structured at university and schooling, and then you're into the big wide world, and it was it was the learning with diverse groups of people and teams and people that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I came out, funny enough, I, you know, I, I played a lot of sport in my, in my youth and, you know, I played hockey at a very high level and, you know, I, I've always been a, a, you know, a person who loves team and teamwork and, you know, optimizing performance through, through teams. And I think going into, into employment at both EC Harris and London and Henley and the beauty of, 
development and property in some ways that it's it's made up of a huge diverse team of skilled people that you get exposure and you get the fun and the enjoyment of of working as teams and it was this um it was, it was that learning i suppose and just absorbing and learning as much as i could in those early years um that um that meant the most to me i think keeping on that topic then of of, of learning you, you know you mentioned then sort of uh, and in, in some ways sort of you um you breeze through it that transition from being the, of the qs to the project manager that's quite a coveted sort of move isn't it being able to make that transition then from being responsible for an aspect of the project to the totality of, of, a, of a project is one I hear about from the recruitment's perspective all day long. People are wanting to move up the food chain. People want to take more responsibility. So you know, tell us a bit more about sort of how easy a transition that was for you. I wouldn't say it was easy. Uh, and I, first of all, after four years of being a Conscious of how I can honestly say I wasn't, you know, a, you know, you know, the, the completed article. I, I suppose I, um, I, I had a real, I suppose a real motivation and desire to to drive team performance, and I felt it was quite difficult being in such a niche role within a team to be able to do that. Now, whilst I encourage all people in my teams to, you know, to contribute to to the whole. And it's crucial that everybody does feels that you, know, you have a culture and a, an environment that allows everybody to contribute to the whole. But in terms of shaping and steering and leading the project management role from an execution perspective, and we'll move on and talk about development management later on. But it's a similar type of role where you know you have that ability to to bring those people together and really really drive performance and get the best out of people. And for me, that was was a was a really fulfilling aspect of you know my job um yes we were creating something we were building something we were getting planning we were you know commissioning buildings and you know that they're obviously the, the the main focus of what we're trying to achieve but i also got huge fulfillment out of seeing the seeing teams perform really well and bringing people through in teams and project management gave me the opportunity to do that and i wouldn't say it's an easy transition because it does expose you to a whole different set of skills, a lot of different softer skills, uh, as well as technical skills. But in some way, quantity surveying, I think, gives you a little bit more of that technical background that allows you to move into project management technically. But I would say the softer skill development was very much something I learned, you know, through playing a lot of sports. Uh, I, I put a lot of value in, in in how I've, I suppose, developed those those softer skills around managing people, you know, achieving performance out of people setting clear goals, reaching targets, um, maintaining quality standards, all those really important things that you know we need from people in teams when they perform. So we bring teams together because you know we trust in their technical capability. We you know we we select the right people, we select the right companies to help us to achieve the goal. But those people have to gel, they have to work within a culture, they have to you know they have to be led and they have to feel part of something that enables them to want to commit, to deliver, to go that extra step in order to to perform. And project management was really that that, uh, that opportunity to do it. But it was very much a, a learning thing that I developed throughout my career and I'm still developing today, really. It's not something you, you achieve and it's done and dusted. It's very much an ongoing thing. But project management gave me that. Okay. 
So uh, that probably brings us quite nicely into it, uh, a closing sort of, ch of chapter one, and um, and you very very nicely now sort of blended what what appears to be sort of two, uh, two or or one very steep sort of uh, learning curve from um, uh, from those sort of from the get go, and you've teased us where we think we think it's going to go. Tell us about sort of what what happens next. So um, whilst at London and Henley, um, I was sitting reading Building Magazine one day and. I was looking through the job section at the back of a building and there was a, an advert for a project manager at, at Grosvenor, which made me sit up actually, because, you know, I'd never really seen Grosvenor put appointments out into building magazine. Normally they would either go direct or, you know, they would probably fill spaces just through recommendation and people they knew. So it was quite an unusual. So in my mind, it was like a, there was a sign to a degree it was like well this is interesting so i um i obviously applied for the role and um fortunately got interviewed by steve brewer it was a role it was a project management role within the residential london uh, the residential team on the on the london estate in mayfair belgravia and um i went in for my interview and um it was interesting when i went into steve did say to me at the end after i had interviewed and been successful that he said you know we were i was so pleased to see your cv because i was trying to track down where you were actually because we were trying to fill this role and i was wondering where you had got to so it was a lovely lovely comment he made but uh but anyway i went i, I applied went for the went for the interview i was successful in getting the role and um i joined i joined them in 2001 remember in october just before christmas in 2001 and um I say my role there was was to come in and uh, lead on um, a, a sort of new emerging pipeline of residential development opportunities that were being led by a lady called Jane Wagner, who's now running her own business, Wharton Wagner. And I worked with I worked with Jane there as Jane was the development director. I was the sort of emerging project manager for all residential projects on the London estate, and we worked together there you know, very, very closely on some amazing projects uh, for about seven years. And that was my introduction into Grosvenor. So if we break Grosvenor down, then it's obviously you spend 14 years there, but thinking about those those very, very earliest sort of days, what was the the greatest sort of challenge or what would you say is the steepest sort of learning curve you had then in those very earliest days? Yeah, actually, the, the transition from London and Henley into Grosvenor was was quite a seamless one actually I and mean, the culture at Grosvenor is fantastic and they made it very very easy to transition to the new role yes I continued to learn and develop my project management skills and my technical knowledge and my sort of softer skills but as a as a as a transition it was it was made so much easier by by, by the quality of the company and the people within that company that um that brought me in so Ian we as I said before, you're at Grover for 14 years, but you don't stay as a project manager, do you, during, during those 14 years? Tell us a, no. a bit more about some of, the, some of the evolution that you went through during that time. Okay. Yeah, you, you're right, Nick. Um, 14 years is quite a long time at one company in one role. And as an ambitious person as I am, I got insight. Um, obviously in my role as a project manager into different types of roles within property. I mean, Grosvenor, extremely diverse property company, they had the opportunity, they had the opportunity to give people within their company a very diverse range of uh, experiences through rotation if you wanted to. But deep down, my passion was always in, in the world of development. And for me, 
the, the latter years of my project management um, phase at, at Grosvenor, I started to get more interested and more intrigued with the development management role. It'd be interesting, some people out there might wonder, what, well, what's the difference between project management and development management? And I always try and, try and simplify it in some way because there is a very big difference. Um, and I suppose, in my mind, the development manager is the role that, I suppose, sets the vision, creates the value through, through the creation of something, a place, a product, uh, a building. They oversee the the design and creation of that product and that goal and that objective. They are responsible and accountable for the financial performance, um, the, uh, the, the funding, uh, the, the legal side of development. Whereas the project manager is the is the what I, I used to call the, the oppo really, who works very very closely with the development manager to make sure that that is executed seamlessly. So that's the, that's the sort of distinction between the two roles. And having done project management, I felt for me a natural a natural opportunity and progression was into development management. And um, one thing I would say about Grosvenor is that they they whilst I was there for fourteen years, they they always were closely talking to you about how they could continue to challenge you in your career. And I had made some early murmurs about moving into development management, but I, rem- I remember the moment I was I was. Um, I was sitting at home on a Sunday morning and I got a phone call from Peter Vernon, who was the then CEO of Grosvenor GBI. And it completely came out of the blue, wasn't expecting it. And uh, he uh, sat down and uh, he said to me, he said, um, things are changing at, at Grosvenor on the development side. And I'd like you to come in and build me a new uh, development strategy for the London estate and to lead that team. How do you feel about that? And that was the opening statement he he gave me whilst I was sitting at home on a Sunday morning thinking about cutting the grass. And um, it, it was just an, an overwhelming feeling in my mind, both of excitement at, at an opportunity like that, but also I had never operated in a development management role before. And for me, that was a, the move from quantities of end to project management was felt more natural and transitional. The move from project management into development management was a, for me was a much bigger step in terms of technical experience, in terms of the responsibility and accountabilities on you. And like me, I, I always I always love a challenge. And as we're going to talk about, I obviously moved into that role. And um, so I said yes to Peter on that phone call that I would I would do that role for him. And um, I then spent the next seven years of that fourteen years, so it was sort of split in half, transitioning into the development management role. And um, I, I inherited a team of, it wasn't a very big team at that time. I think the, the, the pipeline of opportunity had, had started to started to be worked out. So it was, there was a few uh, projects on the go at the time. There was a team of three or four people. And uh, I spent five of those seven years building a new pipeline, working with the other property people across the estate, so the asset management team, the other development managers that we had within the team and we built a pipeline uh, of a value of approximately three billion there was probably around 70 to 80 active projects within there and the team grew from four four to about 20 20 people over that five-year period and that was that was the opportunity i was presented and that was the journey i went on and i i created and built a fantastic team of people 
and we started to shape a really interesting uh, diverse pipeline of opportunity for for the next 10 or 15 years at Grosvenor and it was Peter that gave me that opportunity and supported me through that. I was waiting very patiently to see whether you you could answer the question I um I I think sort of you prompted with when the way you told that story to so many of our listeners thinking put put themselves in your shoes then receiving a a telephone call from their chief exec on a Sunday morning with 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 a job that's just too good to be true many would be thinking is this a prank uh, yeah <laughs> why why do you think Peter Vernon offered you that job. Because you 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 were you were very quick to point out the reasons you know he shouldn't have because you hadn't done it before, um, yeah. And you know, Grover has would have no problem recruiting for that role externally because of the big brand and because of the platform and all the you know the three billion pounds uh, uh, would give three billion reasons to go and uh, be able to yeah. recruit anyone else. Why did they choose Ian, the project manager who'd been with the business now for was it four years? Uh, seven, yeah, it was about six six years at that six time. six years. Six years. Why do you think they chose you? Yeah. Well, they obviously felt I had potential. I mean, one thing. One thing. You know, Grosvenor were really encouraging through that period I was there was was unlocking potential of people, uh, gr- growing from within. Because as you say, it's easy to recruit externally for these types of roles, but you know that brings in other challenges. Obviously, with people coming in with different cultures, different different backgrounds. You know, and actually, you know, growing your people from within who are embedded into the culture who understand the business, the drivers. Um, Grosvenor is a very special place in terms of its family background and you know, fat family values that go with it. So giving people opportunity to step into, um, into roles that, you know, frankly, they don't have the experience for uh, and seeing how they develop and grow and the speed at which people can develop and grow was something that they encouraged. And I, I would say through my time as a project manager, I probably demonstrated capability to take on new things, uh, recognize the importance of other people when you don't have the skills yourself. The art is how do you bring people together to achieve your goal? Um, so I was demonstrating skills of that nature. They obviously felt that I had um, had the drive and ambition to want to do that. And they obviously wanted to keep me. So they wanted to keep challenging me and, um, I suppose the ingredients of all of those things is probably what gave Peter the, you know, the, the thought of of opening this opportunity to me. Did you ever ask him why? Uh, that's a good question. No, I don't. I don't, I don't remember asking him. Uh, well, I did, yeah, I probably did. He, he probably. I, th- I think he. I think he said to me on a few occasions, "I had full confidence that you would step in there and step up, and you know, deliver the results." So he gave me the he gave he gave me the confidence. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a really that's a really good work. That was that was something that was on, on my mind. Sort of, there's one thing, isn't there? Sort of, uh, Grosvenor or Peter Vernon having the confidence that you can do the job. It's another thing for you to have the confidence to do that job because you, there's the extra element here of yes, you know, there's a there's a, a transition for you to make. There's a job for you to learn, but there's also people to be managed, isn't there? And yeah. so people, uh, people who, who in theory knew this, knew this, the day job better than you did on day one. Um, Absolutely. So, how much confidence did that take of you in order to take to take on that role, and not just take not not say yes to it, and you know, and go uh, and sort of you know, and have a go at flyer, but but want to succeed in this this role? How how yeah. much of a personal sort of hurdle or challenge was was that for you? 
Oh, it was massive. Oh, it was massive. Massive. I mean, it, did it be- feel massive? Because the way you describe it doesn't feel massive. It feels like you you sort of you were so eager to take it on that you didn't even think about it. I, I'm, I am curious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought about it a lot. I mean, yeah, the, I suppose the eagerness and desire to want to succeed sort of drives me anyway. But and in some way, that may mask what is what's happening underneath is probably quite a lot of anxiety. You know, a lot of self reflection. Um, a lot of pressure to perform, which I sort of place on myself. Uh, one, one, I suppose one good thing I did do, and I was encouraged to do it through sort of coaching and mentoring, was was to get to surround myself with some some good people uh, who who were not necessarily directly connected to the business or day to day activity. Really, um, people that you can talk to, open up with, share share your anxiety with, and it, what it, what it led me to do actually was to develop a and understand the importance of humility and vulnerability, uh, which is, I think, fundamental for any great, you know, good, t- good leader, good team leader, good business person is, you know, I would, you know, often go in and sit down with my team or people who knew lots more than me and say, I don't understand this. I haven't got a clue what, 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 what I'm doing. Um, can you help me think through it? You know, I need to understand it. I need to learn it. I don't need to be doing it day to day. But I need to I need to develop in that space, and the speed of doing that came quicker and better through being much more open and vulnerable. I think with people, and not seeing that as a weakness in my role, which I think is fundamental. And I've and I've learned that over over the years, and that 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 I suppose it was accelerated in those in those five years in that in that role in that transition, and how important it was to be like that and to recognise the strength of it, not the weakness of it. I bet, I bet. Well, um, so you you know we like to do a bit of a bit of research on the on the pod. So I, I wanted to bring in some of it because it, it feels quite timely now. So I, I spoke yeah. to a couple of different people who knew you knew you at this sort of stage of your career, um, and one of the questions that I asked them was what they thought were your most prominent traits. This is this is what one of them said. They just described then Ian as a a natural leader. But the peculiarity with that, or the or specifics about this, are that you're an introvert, but an introvert who has this ability to engender fellowship, and that's something they said. Is, I don't. They didn't necessarily think that that always went sort of that was an obvious or an easy path. You, you weren't the person who was beating the drum down down the line, expecting everyone else to to follow you. You were very much within within those, those groups then. Being able uh, in to inspire and to and to lead them, but without necessarily being the most outspoken, does that resonate with you? Do you agree with that? I do. I do. Um, I'm definitely an introvert. And so, and so, so using so uh, all right. Then I'll, I'll I'll leave you. I'll leave you to tell me whether when when you think the best example of that is. But to anyone listening, who mm-hmm. who would also also class themselves as an introvert, yeah. How do you become then? that great leader because in so many in so many sort of sort of ways people think about leaders right we think about extroverts don't we we think we think yes. about this sort of charismatic sort of natural sort of leaders the people who are the first up uh, sort of first first into battle so to speak but to any you know, to, to everyone else who isn't that character how do you still lead yeah, well, I, I think you just sort of explained the stereotypical type of leader, really, where everybody perceives them to be extroverts and, you know, charisma and banging the drum. And there are some leaders out there who have been successful who follow traits like that. But 
invariably, from what I've seen, most of the great leaders in the that have ever been are more are more introvert in their nature actually um, than they are extrovert. I think the, the key things for me around leadership and the word that you used earlier actually is is followship is as a leader how how do you create an environment with your people both internal so people you're managing within a team but also it's certainly in property we have a hugely diverse external team of people that we all need to be performing and you know, we have a role as the development manager or director or whatever title you have to, to lead them. And the art for me is is the ability to get those people to follow you as a leader. And what that means to me is people that are all pushing in the right direction with a single goal, fully committed, fully loyal to achieving that. There's no there's no them and us. There's no hierarchy in my view. There's no I'm the, I'm the boss. I'm banging the drum. You're coming with me. Uh, you're going to do as I tell you. That type of leadership for me isn't true leadership. And I suppose the introvert the introvert characteristics. And I've I've read quite a few books on this type of topic to try and understand it. You know, it is is I suppose demonstrate skills and uh, a personality and behaviours that perhaps is more vulnerable is more is more demonstrates more humility connects with people at a different intense level in a way that makes makes that bond that enables that fellowship to to happen and it's through it's through those those interactions and i think those behaviors as a leader which are probably more introverted are um are what create i think really strong great leaders and leaders of people leaders of teams and um, I suppose that that's that that's where that's that's what I've created over the years. You know, building on my personality and my you know what, what I'm comfortable with. Um, it's not to say that I don't I don't set stretching targets and I don't expect exceptional performance. And those conversations need to be had if we don't do that. But it's not done in a, in a bombastic bang in the table way. It's it's done very measured. People understand that. People understand that expectation. And um, we work together to achieve it. That's good. So, Ian, you've, we've you know we've heard about this incredible sort of start, this sort of uh, this sort of transition. You've you've given us a really good int- um, uh, sort of view on the scale and and how how you managed it. But history tells us that that it, this does come to an end. You do you spend fourteen years at at Grosvenor. Tell us what's you know what is the beginning of the end to that spell of your career. Yeah, okay. Um, I suppose we, we touched on a little bit earlier about, uh, I mentioned five years of growing the development business, creating the pipeline. And what what emerged towards the end of that five years was that I created, I created a pipeline of, of, of such a diverse range of projects that, and grew a team from within that, that actually wasn't capable. I created a business, I think, that wasn't capable of delivering that pipeline. Now that's quite a that's quite a harsh thing to say, but it was an it was a really interesting, I suppose, reflection. And what I mean by it wasn't capable of delivering it was because within that pipeline there was, I suppose, half a dozen projects that were what we classed at the time as big complex projects. Naturally, at Grosvenor, the pipeline was 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 being filled with lots of smaller projects, refurbishments, 
um, small development projects, which made up the core of that pipeline and continues to be a, you know, an, um, an, a revolving pipeline for Grosvenor because of the nature of the estate. And the team that we grew to deliver that, that, that particular element of the pipeline were, were exceptional at those types of projects. When you stepped up to the very large projects, and when I say in large, I'm talking, you know, projects of a hundred million pounds plus in terms of maybe cost. And in our case, we had three projects in there that were probably three or four hundred million pounds of cost on each project. So they were really substantial commitments. And what we actually what we actually had created there, I think, was a very diverse, very ambitious, very exciting program of works. But I, I realized that I didn't have the team uh, to deliver it. And actually what uh, what happened was that we, uh, we, we, talked to, we uh, talked to as a board uh, about all of this. And um, we ended up doing a piece of work, which was sort of my sixth year at, uh, in, in that tenure of development management at, at Grosvenor, where we started to try and understand the differences between standard development projects and these big, large, complex projects and all the characteristics of, of those projects that potentially meant that the, the businesses as I created and set up needed to be changed. And that went down to not only governance controls and risk controls, but it went down to the structure of the team, the, the types of people that we needed to run these projects. They were very different types of people terms of their backgrounds their experiences we looked at the scope of different roles within the bit within Grosvenor in terms of the development management role project management finance we started to really understand how big complex projects needed to be set up needed to be structured needed to be resourced in order to manage risk effectively and deliver success and the culmination of that exercise we went through was that I had basically uh, concluded that we needed to break that business up and in fact I did myself out of a job because what happened was that we started to restructure the development business into what we called sort of mainstream developments that the natural estate management and development work and then three or four very large projects which became sort of mini businesses in their own right that needed a much more uh, focused business governance structure to, to to manage them so as I went through that sort of latter part of my time at Grosvenor, I realised that I was starting to do myself out of the role that I had created initially. And there were conversations at the time about, you know, what other opportunities, you know, I could fulfil within Grosvenor. And it coincided with also something that had been burning in my, my mind for a number of years about uh, wanting to set up my own business. And I've reflected on this many times and I suppose the motivation and many people are influenced by their youth and many influenced by their parents. And th this was something that was in me from that, that my father had instilled in me, I think, because he at a young age set up his own business. And I always admired him for doing that. And there was something in me to say that I wanted to do it or I needed to do it. I mean, we're getting quite deep now, but there, there was something in there about I wanted to try and, you know, create and set up my own business. And it just coincided with a natural break at Grosvenor, actually. And it had nothing nothing else apart from that, really. I mean, Grosvenor, I'm sure, would have found me another role that would have taken me on for another five years, perhaps, with another challenge. I mean, they're a global company. There was opportunities maybe to work overseas and those sorts of things. But it did coincide with this other, this other piece. And um, 
I had a burning desire to want to try that and to see how I would fare in that space. And uh, felt that that was the next chapter beyond Grosvenor. Well, don't leave us hanging. Tell us, tell us more about Herzegovian. What what exactly that was? So this goes back to another sort of moment in in. Um, it wasn't a Sunday morning this time. I think it was a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> and I was invited. I was invited to a um, a game of rugby, uh, one of the Six Nation games. I can't remember who it was. It was England versus somebody. And I was a guest of Keith Brooks, who was uh, who now is one of the co-founders of Cast. And I've, he used to work at E.C. Harris. That's why I've known him for thirty years, and he's a close friend. And um, one of the uh, one of the guests on the on the day was um, was Jamie Buchan. And um, uh, I was sitting next to Jamie, watching this rugby. And it's Scottish. Jamie's from Scotland. And I just imagined, you know, being at the rugby. In fact, it was probably England versus Scotland. That's why he was probably invited. And um, I said to Jamie, I said, "Oh, you, you, you know, you, you love your rugby?" He went, "No, no, no, not really. It's not really my thing. Rugby. I don't really know what's going on. He didn't understand the rules at all." And um, but he was having a great day, and he was a, he's a he's a superman. He's a personal friend of mine now. But he he, I asked him obviously what he did, and um, an extraordinary career, Jamie, and. Um, a very diverse uh, background, uh, but he was he was basically working with a Malaysian investor who had acquired uh, St John's Wood Barracks, which is a very large site uh, just north of Law's Cricket Ground. And um, Jamie had worked with this investor previously on a very different business venture, and was very very close to the investor. And the investor had asked him to set up a development business in London to fundamentally run this project. And uh, this project was a one billion pound. Uh, value project and construction costs of 500 million so it goes back into that big complex project mm-hmm. piece i was talking about so there was this sort of natural i was, I was immersed in that sort of thinking and uh, mindset of grover at the back end and i'd met this this chap jamie who was who, who wasn't a property person at all and he would even stand up today and put his hand up to even though he's been doing it for 10 years he'll say I'm, i don't understand anything about property um he was looking for a CEO to come in and grab hold of that business and that project and transform it and mobilize it and execute it. And uh, we started talking and um, that conversation uh, on that day sparked a real interest in me. And it, and in many ways, when I talk about that ambition to set up my own business, the way I had computed it in my head was stepping out of Grosvenor solid corporate company 14 years of security into a the next day setting up your own business from scratch was was a very very daunting prospect but this opportunity with jamie gave me an opportunity to step out of a big corporate you know going back into a much smaller organization there was only four of them at the time and to grab hold of the business understand the business and transform that business into something that could deliver not only St. John's Wood, but in discussions with the investor at the time, there was real ambition to buy some other stuff in London, you know, create a little development business. And for me, that sounded like a perfect opportunity to make that transition whilst fulfilling many of those ambitions that I had. And it took me, it took me a long time to make the decision because stepping away from Grosvenor was not an easy decision. Not only had I invested 14 years of my life into that business, but I also I continued to admire it and 
thought it was a fantastic business all the way through that. So I had no negativity around that business at all. Mm. But it was this opportunity for me to to do something um, to do something that was smaller, leaner, uh, but with real influence on a project which is a very special project. And that, and that, and I made the decision. And I, uh, I remember signing the contract um, on the first of April in twenty eight uh, twenty fifteen. And that was uh, that was my step away from Grosvenor. Now I, I asked you some really sort of personal questions about sort of when you got that that Sunday course with Peter Werner. So I won't I won't press you too hard in terms of that sort of the the personal sort of um, sort of feelings about making that one leaving sort of Grosvenor, but also stepping into the sort of CEO sort of shoes. Um, Mm. but professionally how how big a challenge was that for you because you leave you leave a lot of the security behind don't you at Grove and you leave, yeah. you leave a lot of people behind um yeah uh, so professionally how 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 big a challenge was that it was it was it was big I mean technically it wasn't big because what I've been doing at Grove now I just transferred into this new place and you know used a lot of that underlying experience and skill set the, the the difference was that you know the ceo title whatever title you have i was fundamentally the point person responsible for growing you know growing and transforming this business and for me that became you know everybody was looking at me as i didn't have anyone else around me i didn't have the comfort protection of other people uh, there was no there was no real board structure or anything like that it was it was me and the investor so it was a very it was very low you know there was some very lonely times as a as a ceo which you know i mentioned before about surrounding yourself with the right people and jamie particularly was was fantastic i mean jamie stayed in the role as a chairperson but allowed me to basically run shape and lead the 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 property piece um so i did have jamie close there and jamie was 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 an amazing confident and a supporter and really helped that that process and you know he, he encouraged me to, to speak to other people I had you know coaches and various other mentors dotted around that helped me through that process so it was a it was a big step because you, you you have to think about lots of other things that are non-property but you know in that ceo role so you know thinking about the funding side of it with you know with, with the investor there's obviously the setting up the business there's running a business all the elements that go with that small business you know your website you know marketing pr all those sorts of things that's coming out of grosvenor where it was all done for you by other people and you know very mature established processes and framework you've suddenly got to you've got to do all of that as well as deliver the goods on on the core business so but but that was one of the things i wanted to experience i wanted to expose myself to a broader business um, um experience and all everything that goes with that from ordering stationery getting printers you know whatever's needed you roll your sleeves up and you you, you create a business and you set it up um fortunately Craig Ian had had that had quite a lot of that in place already so my 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 role as the ceo there was very much more about transforming that business bringing in the right team employing the right skill sets to deliver a project of this size and, and capability and um i had three um three fantastic years there I created probably the best team that I I have ever created actually in terms of not only the the team ethos culture and values but the quality of the individuals were were were, were exceptional and I 
and I, I'm very proud of, of what we achieved there together. And yeah, the, there was there was a moment, you know, towards the end when I when 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 I left that that, that team was really, I we used to say it was really humming as a team, and to achieve that was a really really positive thing. So I was really proud of that. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that three years um, because of you know external factors. Um, because of the scale and size and risk of the project at a time when super prime in london was um was obviously under pressure and we were just at the back end of brexit and um uh, that the investor felt you know i too and the investor felt that committing to a 700 million pound construction contract uh, to build just shy of half a million square foot of super prime probably wasn't the right call at the time uh, and it proved not to be the right. It proved to be the right call not to do it. And because of that, and some other things that were going on with the investor, we did, he, there wasn't any allocated equity for other acquisitions at the time. He sort of fell out of love with London because of Brexit a little bit for a period. He, um, we both agreed that me hanging around, you know, nursing just this one project wasn't really good for me either. And I, I completely agree with him. And we had a very amicable conversation about it and i said that i wanted to move on and if, and that's when the sort of the nucleus of beyond started to emerge which in my my view was unfinished business at craig craig ewan really that i created a wonderful team and we hadn't really seen 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 it through and i wanted to do the same thing again but that that was i suppose i had built the confidence by then having done three years with jamie to step out and create something from scratch. And in 2018, uh, Marcus and I, uh, and another colleague, Jonathan Wyatt, set up, set up Beyond in, um, in 2018. Well, that's a lovely segue then, isn't it, to, um, to bring us uh, right back up uh, into the present, because um, yeah, as, as we said at the very, very sort of start in the introduction, sort of Ian Morrison is, is now co-founder of, of Beyond. Tell us a bit more about sort of what that business is and sort of what's happening today. Sure, sure. So yeah, I co-founded it with with Marcus Field. Uh, Marcus um, Marcus came into into Craig Ewan actually as my FD, so I recruited him in uh, on the finance side. And um, as a, any FD CEO does, you know, or hopefully does, you create a very strong bond between between the two of you. And Marcus and I just bounced off each other in a, in a really, uh, really lovely way and became very close friends through the Craig Ewan time. And um, we felt there was a real opportunity to continue that. So um, when we set, when, when we set Beyond Up, Marcus came in as a co-founder and we very much complement each other. So I tend to focus on you know, business leadership, uh, development, property, vision, you know, running, leading, pushing projects and then Marcus provides the full financial uh, uh, support and leadership both in terms of business operational finance but also capital raising if needed so yeah we um, we launched this business in 2018 together and um, it was a it was a quite a surreal experience really because it was it was the very first time that we had to set everything up from scratch so you know joking apart you know ordering paper clips and you know, set trying to find somewhere to work, uh, not not wanting to commit to a big office or anything like that. So we were sort of uh, sheltering in other people's offices and um, 
you know, big shout out to uh, David Lawrence, um, for, you know, who, who gave us some space in his office at the very beginning. And you need those things to, to, to get a business up and running. Um, we wanted the business to be a a, a seen as a developer, not as a consultant. So we didn't want to go out and promote ourselves as development management consultants. Um, we wanted to be sitting at the table with partners, with funders, as a developer. Uh, that was the ambition. Um, but however, like like all all things, you know, we need to do some consultancy work to get some fees in. We did we did a little bit at the beginning, um, just just to get us off the ground. But um, we the surreal moment was actually we had to go out and sort of sell ourselves really, which was a very bizarre experience, having never had to have done that before. And you obviously tap back into your network, and you know we 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 walked the streets through that summer of 2018. We reconnected with lots of old friends and colleagues and people we had worked with in the past, and um, we just just shared our ambition and our and, and our thinking, which you know you know we got some fantastic feedback and support. Um, we got a lot of support in the funding space around. We are very happy to fund you guys. Great track record. You know, no questions around that, but you need to bring us an opportunity um, before we can even talk about that. So there was there was that real challenge of, oh, OK, well, how do we unlock opportunity? And, you know, where do we want to unlock opportunity? What do we want to be doing? Um, and the, the, the initial focus of the business was actually around trying to uh, disrupt the house building market. We, we felt that we had, you know, we'd spent 20 odd years, each of us working in London, working in super primes, seeing the quality of some of the products and uh, places that we had created and we felt that the house building market was was not offering the you know normal people you know the general society you know a really good quality product great places to live with great service and we felt there was potentially an opportunity to to go in and disrupt that a little bit by bringing in the right teams of people the right designers the right thinking um the right service offering all those all those sort of elements and ingredients and um it coincided actually with a conversation with a company called Carries, who most people in the industry might know them as a big engineering, concrete, groundwork, structural, structural business, big engineering business, one, one of the leading ones in the country. And um, in fact, I had worked with them when I was at Craig Ewing because the big scheme that we had there, we needed you know one of the top engineering uh, contractors to, to to look after the basement, and we 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 selected Carries. And I selected Carries, funny enough, not on price or technical capability, but I selected them on culture and values, particularly of Jason Carey at the time, who was leading that business and the way that he he thought about people and the way he thought about culture. And that was the reason we, I selected them. And through that, we built a great relationship with them. And it transpired that they had a house building part of their business. And they were, they, they were reflecting on the direction of that business and... Um, they were, they were in the sort of small, medium house builder category. And um, they had delivered some product they weren't particularly proud of. Uh, they felt the business could be performing a bit better. And they asked us to come in and do a bit of a review and audit of it at a time when they were thinking of, of, of looking at it as well. And so the timing of that conversation was 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 perfect, really. Um, but and, and, and I suppose that exercise concluded and uh, gave, gave me, actually, and Marcus more insight, actually, into how difficult it is to disrupt that market when you're up against highly competitive strategic land uh, opportunities, the house builder machine that's out there, the way that they, they use critical mass and the, the, their models are very much cost driven. And it's actually very, very difficult to, to, to break into that market. 
And conversations with carers at the time were, you know, were potentially shifting away from house building. So what's happened, um, and through through our experience as well, I think we've 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 been working with them now for two and a half years in a, in partnership. We've been helping them to restructure their their property side um, to optimize a lot of their legacy property that they've got, and we are now just entering into a phase of uh, a new strategy, which is much more london and urban focused mixed use in nature um real passion for creating great places with you know really high quality design a real understanding of the i suppose the shifting expectations of customers both residential commercial and we also have some industrial land which is really interesting because that market is moving at such a pace where you know we want to improve the, the fundamental drive is to improve the lives of the people that either live there or work there through the quality of the place that we create. And that's both physical and mental well-being. I think there's a big drive in our vision around bringing nature back into urban places. And how do we do that in a way that creates you know, the right type of environment, the right balance of uh, product and, and nature? But so, so there's a real energy now, and we've got a clear strategy. Uh, we're well capitalized to to go and find opportunity in that in that space, and um, you know build beyond back up, you know not back up, but build beyond into a business that's very very lean, very focused, and in many ways, you know you know humming like uh, my Craig Ewan team was when when I left Craig Ewan. So that's that's the sort of direction, and you know huge huge. Um, you know, we feel hugely privileged to be working with with the Carey family. Um, we've built significant trust. Where values are very aligned, and we just want to go out there and have a little bit of fun. We want to create some great places, and um, you know, I think that the market is in an interesting place to do that. Well, you know, we've we've got to start to wrap, uh, to wrap this up, um, uh, but it's it has been an incredible sort of journey so far. But the, the so far bit has got is, is definitely definitely intrigues me because it doesn't sound like you've done. So what's next? Yeah, very very good question to end on. Definitely not done. I can can assure you of that. I think Beyond is in its infancy. It's in my mind, it's still a, it's still in the startup mode. We've really got to now cement and crystallise, uh, you know, some real output and and a track record for achieving what we aspire to achieve. For me, that would be the testament in some way to, to what we're, we're setting out to do. And um, so, so, I mean, that's, that's an obvious thing for me to say, I suppose. But aside from that, I think there's, there's one or two things that as I come towards the end of my, I don't say at the end of my career, I mean, I'm turning 50 this year. Um, you know, I, I must admit, I have felt throughout my career that I've always been, I suppose, pushing and moving to that next step. And I've always felt to be one of the younger people in that space. And the last couple of years, I've started to, I've started to see that next generation of people where I was five or 10 years ago, starting to be those people. And it's not necessarily me now, which means that for me, I've, you know, things are changing. And I start to think actually more about not only delivering the, the business objectives and, and create, I, I still have this huge, you know, passion and desire to create great teams of people. And that's never, that's never going to, going to change. And I've still got that challenge ahead with beyond to do that. But the couple of things that I, that I do, there's a couple of interesting things in my mind at the moment that I'd like to really achieve. And one of them actually is around 
um, the industrial market. Now, for somebody having come out of Grosvenor, that's one, that's one estate that you don't cross into industrial. But actually, with with the Carey family, we we do have some in, some exposure to some industrial, some urban industrial as well. And having spent about six months in that space, and having seen what's happened over, particularly London, I think over the last five or ten years, where a lot of this land has been lost to residential just through population growth pressures affordability and you know you know values industrials lag behind actually that has now changed and you know industrial values and expectation around industrial is changing rapidly and i think there's a there's a massive challenge on this particular sector and some some of the the big players out there are starting to do it now where we're, we're very much looking at how do we intensify and optimize industrial land in london to really deliver on that, um, this emerging market at the moment around last mile delivery, technology businesses. You know, we've been we've been talking to some really interesting companies like dark kitchens, microbreweries, you know, really creative, you know, industries. But trying to understand what they need, how they need it, and how do you how does prop how does the real estate market respond to that, and create a great place for these people to work but also places that support and optimize their businesses through operation for me is, is a really interesting and exciting space at the moment. And we're fortunate enough to have some land in that space. Um, we're on the beginning of that journey and, uh, and I, I, I want, I want to be seen to be, you know, really pushing the boundaries of it in terms of the quality of the design of these places, this bringing in this nature piece into it, which you think about urban logistics, nature never really resonates with anybody but for me those people need to have just the same quality of environment as people working in the city or in the west end or so why not why why they deserve that as much as anybody else so there's something in that sector that is is it's given me a bit of injection of excitement over the last year or so and then and then the last piece i'd like to finish on and it's always been always been a burning desire for me is and i've got children now that are coming through university and going into the big wide world not necessarily in property but is creating opportunity for young people i think i i just talking to my children and finding out how difficult it is for them to to find careers and get exposure and opportunity I just sense it's much, much harder today than it was perhaps for us. Even though when I started, I said only four of us in our course got jobs because of the recession. But, you know, I just, I don't know. I just think, I, I, I sense it's much more challenging for them. And our industry needs, is, is has a shortage of resource, uh, quality resource, skilled labour, skilled resource, professional capability. And for me, you know, bringing opportunities for young people in is is a real passion for me. So, you know, there's something around that in the next five years through what we're doing, but also if I can help, you know, more widely on that, I'd like to do it. Uh, in fact, you know, one thing we have done over the last 12 months at Care is I've been working with them on their, their they've got an office in Milton Keynes and we've just established, carers have established and I've helped them with the real estate piece of it is to create a, a collaboration with Milton Keynes College where we've transformed the the facility up in Milton Keynes to a, a practical training academy for all their groundwork um, students and um, you know dealing with um, civil civil engineering and you know college courses in uh, those those bricklaying skills or those types of practical uh, skills 
and the natural progression from from not only giving them better facilities and better opportunity to train and develop is then apprenticeships into the industry either through carers or other people so you know there's and i've been really really excited by that and you know just to see the you know the, the you know the, the enjoyment and the uh, commitment from the young people has been amazing so there's definitely something there that i'd like to um like to achieve in the next five ten years of my career in, in some way uh, well ian thank you very much for uh, sh- sharing the tea at the time with us to um uh, to share that sort of story and i am uh, no doubt so everyone listening uh, here will be sort of will be keeping an eye out um uh, on exactly sort of how those plans so, um, uh, pan out as well so thank you again yeah, my pleasure nick really enjoyed it The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.